five, four, three, two, one. I'm John Miglosh for the WDMA and the International Society for Strategic Marketing. Okay, so now let's go over to the the rest of the news. This is a really interesting, you know, I know that you don't cover, that you don't look at all the news sources that I do every day. So you've probably never heard of Middle East News and Financial, M-E-N-A-F-N. I think that's what it stands for. It's something like that. I looked around to see if it was ever spelled out, but it wasn't really. And so uh, here's an article on direct mail marketing in Middle East News and Financial. Now, if any of you out there do direct marketing in the Middle East, you know, I, I spoke in Singapore, which is like, you know, right by Malaysia and a lot of uh, a lot of Muslim influence, a lot of Asian influence. There's you know there's Indian influence. It's a really interesting melting pot. I loved visiting there, um, but that's about as close as I got. I, I've been to Turkey, but only when I was a kid. So I don't know if direct mail marketing is alive in the Middle East, but they seem to be interested, and they're putting up a really excellent article. Um, from Dynamic Card, uh, I've I've run across their articles before. They must have a public relations arm or something that gets these out around the world. Anyway, so uh, is direct mail marketing dead? No, but if we don't take advantage of the data and digital marketing technologies, then uh, then that have developed over the over the last two two decades, you know, you really want to keep up to date on stuff. That's why you watch. So direct mail marketing is more than catalogs, postcards, and mass mailings. The reality is that that we've transformed direct mail marketing. Interesting that they use that term because when I first got started in 1981 and I went to the direct mail marketing convention, I think the first one I went to was in 82, uh, when I went to the Direct Mail Marketing Association convention, uh, that was a big, big deal. You know, that was that was penthouse suites and shrimp and champagne and uh, thousands and thousands of people. And then they changed it to the Direct Marketing, the Direct Marketing Association. They took out the Direct Mail part of it, which I thought was or the mail part, which I thought was a great kind of a tragedy. And so here we are back again in direct mail marketing. And I think this really, it's really refreshing to see somebody not afraid to use the term mail. Okay, so uh, too many direct mail marketers aren't using the strategies and tools available to us to build our company value. Now, it's really interesting because this word, this strategy idea comes up. And Mark Ritson would suggest that, hmm, no cha marketing channel is really strategic. Um, it says here, they say, we need to use direct marketing strategically. Okay, so what does that mean? Strategy over tactics. Strategy is your marketing program's why. And I think Mark would probably agree with that, sort of. Okay, but why? how is it that mail could be strategic, whereas other medium... Media is just uh, a tactic. Let's do some social. Let's do TikTok. Let's do a postcard. Let's do email. Those are all tactical views. What makes mail different is that not only do you know who bought, 
all the other media give you who bought. They get to your website. They get to your store. And if you track them. I mean, a lot of retail isn't tracked very well. Um, but let's say you do. Let's say you've got a, a membership card or something else. Uh, so if you track the visitors to your website or your store, then you're going to know who bought. The tricky part is why did they buy? And what's the difference between the people who bought and the people who didn't? What mail gives you, because we know it gets, we know who it was sent to, we know it got delivered, we know it got engaged with by a decision maker, right? So everybody on that list, and maybe even people not on the list but the true decision maker, looked at your mailing to some level. Okay, maybe you just had a plain white envelope to try to be sneaky and they decided they didn't like it. You know, maybe you just had an indicia on it. So they figured out, oh, this isn't really personal mail. And sometimes people will throw those away faster than a postcard where the offer is clear. So let's just say whatever you did. But what we know is some people saw it, engaged and didn't buy. And some people saw it, engaged and did buy. And those two populations are the heart and soul of of AI and machine learning. You really need both. And only mail gives you that that non-buyer perspective. You can assume that Facebook sent it to certain kinds of people and plugged that into the non-buyer section. You can assume that, but you don't really know who they are. You don't know anything about them, you know, and you have to trust Facebook even showed it to them. Maybe they were bots. Who knows? We, we talk about that a lot. But that's why mail can be strategic. Mail can give you the real story as a foundation for your marketing. And with that, you can then identify the best offers, identify other issues, the best creative, and then roll it out to these other less, mm, less knowledge-based media. Okay? So put the marketing back into direct mail marketing. If you're doing mail and you're not doing this, you're missing it. And if you're not doing mail, you're totally lost. So have a great, oh no, I'm not done yet. So here's an example. A lawn care company sent a mailing that referred to my location, because we know the location, reviewed my unique lawn attributes. Don't know how they did that, but maybe while they were driving around, they made some notes or something, take a picture, whatever. That's what it takes. That's what takes a postcard campaign from good to great. Don't know. Don't know if it was worthwhile. Might not be. Might be just as worthwhile to say, do you have crabgrass? Or is your lawn toxic to pollinators? Does your lawn kill bees? I talked with a professor at the University of Minnesota who's developed a pollinator-friendly lawn. And she works with landscapers to offer it to consumers. Anyway, now I want to get over to the real story. Oh, but before before we go here, it, it is let's take care to keep track of the numbers. And I want to mention, we got some really great people signed up already. Seven questions, seven questions to avoid direct mail failure. If you want to do mail, before you start, I can help you figure out if you can make money at it or if you've got enough going on to get those data sets that I just told you about. Because if you mail 10 pieces, you're not going to have enough for AI. I hate to say, <laughs> I just hate to tell you. Anyway, so go over to WDMA.org uh, and in the upper right, 
there's a little box tick that box and you can get in and say hello and register there's a small admission for non-members but be happy to have you join we'll let you in if you're a direct mail marketer or you'd like to be okay so catalogs here's a, a story in yahoo.com catalogs fill a retail therapy niche for pandemic weary shoppers from martha c white how cool is this this is pretty long you're going to want to go over to wdma and subscribe and get all the details of this okay but people are putting down their phones and tablets and laptops and picking up catalogs the online shopping experience is too hectic or isn't conducive to leisurely browsing or discovering some new ideas it reminds people of their childhood holiday seasons okay sitting down with a cup of coffee and a tactile catalog and just flipping flipping through it is a lot of fun and uh, this is an old school simplicity of nostalgia okay but there's another thing that that happens on oh catalogs are filling a retail therapy niche for pandemic weary shopping population hamilton davis my davison my friend says that millennials in in particular have an affinity for flipping pages who would have thought one of the big surprises is that millennials find great value in catalogs the internet feels too much like work dave marcotti says catalogs traditionally have been a form of entertainment first before they've been about shopping that's the way it was with my sears wish book catalog when i was a kid we got to look at it and circle stuff and we didn't buy anything santa brought the stuff Okay, Belinda Norris of North For of Fort Worth, Texas, recalled the wish book fondly. I looked forward to it every year. This is a really important point that people lose track of. I get kind of frustrated looking for stuff online. Like here I got my, my, my uh, sharper image, and I can't wait to look through it. And it's got cozy comfort on the front, which resonates exactly with the catalog therapy theme, right? And in here there's stuff that I've never heard of before. A lot of stuff I've never heard of. And so how would I go search for it? How would I search for items I've never heard of? It doesn't even make any sense, right? Just go on Amazon and let it start telling me things that it thinks I might want. It doesn't know what I want. I don't know what I want. Nobody knows what they want. <laughs> they want to find some entertainment and look at the new stuff that's come out that nobody finds. That's why you watch this show. Because you're going to find stuff that no, that you never find. You'd never look at the Middle East news and financial. <laughs> you know, right? So if you don't know what you're looking for, you don't know what's there. And that's what catalogs bring you. Catalogs bring you the news in a product form. My good. The, my goodness. The old catalog what I think what was great about the old catalogs is you could flip through and there were things you didn't know you wanted. If that doesn't summarize the difference between the baloney of digital and the reality of catalogs. And give that to your CFO and tell them, this is why we do catalogs. People want to know what we've found. We're a curator and they can understand our curation much faster with a catalog than they can by looking at a web page and trying to find something interesting that they haven't already seen. Does it, does it make sense? Of course it makes sense. You say, well, we can do an online catalog. It's so much cheaper. 
you know what? I don't like online catalogs. It's not the same. It doesn't smell the same. Okay, Uncommon Goods, Irene Brunel. It's more like we're more like a gift guide in a lifestyle magazine, right? Shutterfly gave its catalog more of an editorial look. Now that's good, but you might not be able to show as many products, and you have to balance that out, or you know you got to mention something, you got to show something. German Sacristan says demand is projected to soar past pre-pandemic production by next year and to continue to rise at compound annual rates of 8% through 2025. So, so the catalog is back, and uh, I want you to. <laughs> I've got tomorrow. Maybe I'll go over my why I love catalogs. It's an article I wrote in 1990, and uh, in 1990 I was one of the premier catalog consultants in the world, and flew around the world speaking, and was flown around the world. <laughs> They paid for my stuff, and uh, I was convinced that someday it would come back, and uh, it has. But You know, now there's new people claiming to know something about catalogs. But anyway, the size of catalogs gives them an edge over handheld screens. The large visual profile of a catalog cover can invite people in like that sharper image I just showed you. Okay, Polly Wong, very, very capable catalog expert, says the tangible nature of catalogs means even throwing one away takes a modicum of interaction. What did we just say? Right, interaction that a marketer can't get with, like, promotional emails that are deleted unread. The thing with catalogs and direct mail is the consumer has to touch it to recycle it. Has to touch it to throw it away. Recycle it. You have this huge amount of real estate with which to tell your story. You can't replicate that amount of real estate in a catalog. I think they misquoted her there. That doesn't make sense. Okay, some of the biggest proponents of paper are web and social-based media startups. That's an irony. I think it's helpful to connect with customers in a different way than just on their screens, Burnell said. I think once we're online, one, I think since we're an online brand, it's one of the most tangible ways we can connect with customers. Yes, you want tangible, right? And And Wong also said that social media paid search aren't delivering the kinds of returns they once did. Right, it's kind of a monopoly, and they raised their prices something like 250% since January. To drive response rates, you need reach, and you don't know who they're showing it to, or you get if you're getting reach, you're just trusting Facebook and Google. Okay, you need reach and you need frequency, but the challenge is with the algorithms. You know, I didn't show an article, but it, it, the whistleblower from Facebook said that that hate ads get a lot better prices lot cheaper are a lot cheaper to advertise hate headlines than regular products isn't that something that tells you about digital because it gets engagement it gets people's reaction they get mad and they share it and that's what social media wants they want people to share it they don't want people mad per se but anger is a powerful motivator and so they're okay with it okay so anyway Anna Palmer at Aparis, which is a startup clothing brand, uh, launched online in 2019 and expanded to a pop-up boutique. It's kind of meeting the customer where they are. It's, I think it's a little more attention-grabbing than just seeing an ad on the Internet or social media. We've seen the catalog drive sales in the store as well as online. Right. Jonathan Zhang, 
a professor at Colorado State University, said the cost of advertising is getting too high because Google and Facebook were de facto monopolies, he said. The customers that were acquired online were not as loyal. Customers who are acquired in physical stores are more loyal, and the customers acquired through catalogs are slightly more loyal. I say it's much more than slightly. I don't know what data he's looking at. But I'm looking at longtime catalog companies who, and I have this confirmed with at least four or five different companies, five or six, uh, that I ran the data for, and we found that the repeat value, the downstream value, the year later, two years later, three years later, was one quarter, 25% of what it was for catalog-acquired customers. The fact is, the biggest thing for one particular long-time cataloger that you'd recognize the name of, uh, the biggest contribution I made with the modeling was to say, don't mail the digital buyers from a particular season. It's not worth it. Don't mail them. They're not worth it. They're like the worst people to mail. Okay? Digitally acquired. And a lot of other clients I've talked to said, we don't mail our Amazon. When when Amazon let you mail them, we don't mail them at all. We tried them and they just don't. They're not buying from us. They're buying from Amazon. And that's a whole different mindset. So, anyway... Stores provide an immersive experience. Oh, this was something interesting, I thought, because out of this group, I've worked with three of the four catalogs featured in the headline photo from the article, just to let you know if you didn't believe me. Have a great day. Like and share. Your friends will know you're smart. Get over to WDMA. Get this article. We'll have a really fun one tomorrow from 1990 about catalogs and why they're so effective. Let's see if I predicted the future. Anyway, like and share. Your friends will know you're smart. Bye-bye.